Satan's original sin was pride and wanting to be God. In Isaiah 14, 13, he said he would put his throne above the stars of God. Do we, in our pride, put ourselves above God? Eve's original sin was not believing God, but believing the serpent. When the serpent called God a liar in the third chapter of Genesis, who can trust a serpent? The serpent planted a seed of doubt by contradicting the word of God. Do we doubt the word of God? Do we choose to believe a worldview orchestrated by Satan? Adam's original sin was going along because Eve did. In 1 Timothy 2.14, Paul tells us Adam was not deceived, but Eve was. Adam sinned anyway. She offered him the fruit. He took it. Do we sin anyway? Do we just go along because others do? Eve doubted God and Adam went along. That was the beginning of our problems. In John 20, Jesus presented the evidence according to Thomas, Thomas's stated conditions. Jesus commanded Thomas to believe. Thomas didn't have to follow through with the stated conditions. He didn't have to touch the wounds of Jesus. Thomas knew he wasn't worth, worthy of such a condition. It was enough for him to see and hear Jesus. Jesus met him where he was. Jesus told Thomas to believe. Jesus meets us where we are. We are to follow his command and believe in him. Jesus led the 12 disciples for three years. He allowed himself to be arrested and beaten and crucified, but then he rose from the dead. His enemies did their worst against him, and he showed himself to be stronger and smarter and more noble and more loving than they. Their authority was nothing compared to his. Jesus is making it very clear when he says all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. In other words, I am the boss, the king over all kings. He went from that declaration to act like the one whose job description is king of kings. He gave a command and expected to be followed. He spoke to the group in front of him and all of the people they brought into his family and the descendants of those who also turned to follow the King of Kings. His message spread out to believers all over the world and down through thousands of years to us who claim to be followers of Jesus. In Matthew 28, 19, Jesus gave the command, go and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. This is the Trinity clearly expressed by Jesus. It is a very specific command. Who are we to question a command from the Son of God? Are we really his if we refuse to do what he told us to do? We know that those who reject Jesus as Lord and Savior are not going to be with him in heaven. They're going to, they're going to hell. We might ask, 
some of us do ask, what about those who don't have the opportunity to choose, who don't reject Jesus because they never heard of Jesus, or are they going to hell? If we believe Jesus has mercy on them because they never heard of him, then we are tempted to believe that they are better off never hearing about Jesus. Then they don't have to decide whether to trust in Jesus or reject him. Do we really think we have a better chance of escaping hell? Do we think they have a better chance of escaping hell because they never heard of Jesus? Are we assuming they are innocent, non-sinning individuals? We know that the followers of Jesus have the Holy Spirit living in them. Guiding them to, the better, to be better people on this earth. Those Spirit-filled followers of Jesus have an effect on the people around them. People around them become better people just by living in the same community with Christians, following their example of good behavior. But then the Christians can tell them about Jesus. The others are more open to hearing the gospel when they see it being lived out in front of them. But if a group of people don't have Christians among them because no one ever brought them the gospel of Jesus, then they don't even have the opportunity to see the less sinful behavior of the followers of Christ. The Holy Spirit is not guiding those people. A larger percentage of those people will be evil people going to hell. Jesus might have mercy on the few good people living in that community who haven't heard about him, but those will be few and far between. If we think we are doing those pagans a favor by not bringing them the news about Jesus, a larger percentage of them are going to hell. In Romans 3.23, Paul wrote, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In Romans 5.12, Paul says, By one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. You might call it a deadly inherited disease. We're all dead men until we meet Jesus. Jesus is the cure. In Romans 10, 13 through 15, Paul says, Whosoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe if they have never heard of him? And how will they hear without a preacher? And how will they preach if they are not sent to preach? Those are the words of Paul. Can we assume that God is not reaching people we have not loved enough to go to? He has given them something. We need to follow through and give them the details. If we don't, we are not obeying God. Jesus said to spread the word. If we don't, and as a result, those who haven't heard about Jesus go to hell. God might see us as worse sinners than they are because we didn't follow the command of Jesus to tell others about him. Then are we really followers of Jesus? We believe with our intellect, but that is not enough. In James 2.19, he says, Do you believe in one God? You do well. 
the devils also believe and tremble. In Ezekiel 33, 7 through 9, God says to his prophet, I have made you a watchman. So hear the word I speak and give them warning from me. When I say to the wicked, you are a wicked person and you will die, and you don't give them that message, that person will die for his sins, and I will hold you accountable for his blood. But if you warn that person and he doesn't turn from his sin, he will die. But you will be saved because you did warn him. So the lesson here is that the sinner is not saved from death just because he wasn't warned. And the one who was supposed to warn him is accountable. Or look at it this way. God has great plans for those people. We reach to glorify God by sharing their newfound faith in Jesus with their friends and family and neighbors. It might even come about that the pagan nation would become a more civilized nation through faith in Jesus. Then wars might be prevented and people live more peaceful lives and their children and grandchildren belong to Jesus. Someday, their descendants might come to what is left of this nation as missionaries to bring revival to our descendants. Or we can just say, don't tell them about Jesus. They might reject him and go to hell. We are in God's family, and so is everyone else who is a follower of Jesus. We believers all have the Holy Spirit of God living in us. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. He gave us the Great Commission in the last few verses of Matthew, the last few verses of Mark, and in Acts 1.8. In those words, he told us to tell others about Jesus. In our culture, we are pressured to keep it private. We are told religion is a personal thing, and we are not to offend people by talking about it. I don't know about religion. We're talking about a relationship with God. In the Great Commission, almost 2,000 years ago, Jesus told his followers to tell others about him, and some of them did. And that is why, almost 2,000 years later, you and I know about Jesus. If they had all kept it private, it would be their secret and our loss. Our relationship with God is very personal, but not at all private. In the last sentence of the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus said, I am with you always even to the end of the world. He has sent his Holy Spirit to us believers and followers of Jesus. His Holy Spirit is in us and empowers us to tell others about him. Jesus said for the disciples to teach others to observe everything he commanded the disciples to obey. The New International Virgin, Version Bible says, teaching them to obey what I commanded you to obey in their words. In other words, those the disciples taught were also to become disciples down through the ages that includes us. We talked about Jesus appearing to two people on the road to Emmaus. <coughs> He broke bread and they recognized him. He then disappeared from their sight. 
all that was all that was in Luke the twenty fourth chapter, up through verse thirty five. In the next verse, Jesus appeared to the disciples standing in the middle of the room they were in. Luke tells more of the story. We see the same event in the book of John at that point in time. In John twenty, he was it was Sunday evening. The disciples ran an undisclosed location with the doors locked. Their Messiah had been executed. They didn't want to be next. They were afraid the Jewish authorities would send someone to come and take them away. So Jesus just appeared in the middle of the room. He didn't come in through a door or a window or a secret passageway. One second he wasn't there. The next second he was in the room right in the middle. He said, peace be with you. If he had said, boo, they would have all scattered, jumping out of windows or busting down the door. It was an exciting entrance. He had to say, peace be with you, in order to settle their nerves. Looking at the same event in the 24th chapter of Luke, Luke tells us they thought they saw a ghost. He assured them he wasn't some ghostly spirit. He asked them for some food so they could watch him eat it, so they could see he was real live flesh and blood. The fact that he suddenly appeared out of nowhere might have been one reason they were so shaken. Another was that some of them still hadn't processed the idea that he was risen from the dead. He showed them his hands and feet. Now they put it together. This was Jesus who was nailed on the cross, and now he was back. Now they rejoiced, they shouted and cheered. They saw him for who he is. Then Jesus said it again, peace be unto you. He went on to say that the Father had sent him to them, and now he was going to send them. He had a job for them to do. He had sent them out before because... Uh, before his death and resurrection, and now he was sending them out again. They couldn't huddle in a room with the doors locked. They had to go out and tell the world about Jesus. Jesus knew he was giving them a big job. He knew they couldn't do it in their own power. He breathed on them and told them to receive the Holy Spirit. Always before I've read this passage and understood it to say he was giving them the Holy Spirit at that moment, breathing it into them. Some other people read it that way. Some people believe <clears throat> Jesus was giving them enough of the Holy Spirit to last them until the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came into a crowded room and filled everybody in the room. Jesus went on to tell them if they could if they would forgive people's sins, those people's sins would be forgiven. If they didn't forgive a person's sins, his sins wouldn't be forgiven. Compare this with Mark 16, 15 through 16, when it says they are to preach the gospel to all, and those who believe and are baptized will be saved, and those who don't believe will be damned. Mark ties it to their belief in Jesus, and that is consistent with one interpretation of John 20, verse 23. We have the authority to tell people if they don't believe in Jesus, they will go to hell. If they believe in Jesus, 
they will go to heaven. It is what Jesus taught us. He said he is the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through Jesus. Matthew and Mark and Luke and their gospel stories, in their gospel stories, soon after this, John goes on to tell about a couple of disciples who had problems and how Jesus related to them. He talks about doubting Thomas and Peter, who had denied Jesus three times. John's gospel differs from the other gospels in other ways. John knew he was loved by Jesus. I think he related to Jesus the way one might relate to a big brother, who was also a mentor, a guide, and a close friend. John didn't write about the parables of Jesus, though the other gospel writers did. John didn't tell about some of the miracles the other gospel writers wrote about. John was about the relationship. He worshiped Jesus. About half of the book of John was quotes from the words of Jesus. John paid attention to the words of Jesus. In Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the Passover meal before Jesus was arrested was given less than a chapter. In John, that Passover meal was written about in five chapters 13 through 17. Most of those chapters were in the words of Jesus. In John 20, verse 22, Jesus tells the disciples to receive the Holy Spirit. In John 14 and 17, during the Passover meal, before the crucifixion, Jesus had much to say about the Holy Spirit. In 14, 26, Jesus said, The Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Here Jesus is talking about the Trinity. God the Father sends God the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus, the Son of God. The Holy Spirit will teach the disciples as Jesus did and will bring the words of Jesus back to their memory. An example of this is the Gospel of John, which, according to my Bible commentary, was written between 85 and 90 A.D. John was an old man when he wrote the book of 21 chapters, and about half of it was the words of Jesus. The Holy Spirit brought all those words back to John so he could write the Gospel of John. The Holy Spirit did the same thing for Matthew and for the people who inter people interviewed by Mark and Luke. In John 16, 13 through 15, 16, verses 13 through 15, Jesus tells them the Holy Spirit will give truth from Jesus to the disciples. In verse 15, Jesus said, All things the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he takes of mine and will disclose it to you. So Jesus is saying the Holy Spirit takes from Jesus who receives from the Father and gives that truth to the disciples. Back in 16, 7, Jesus said, It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go away, I will send him to you. So while Jesus was with them, the Holy Spirit shined through Jesus to them. But with Jesus gone, 
they could have the Holy Spirit within themselves. It's the same with us. When we receive Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we receive the Holy Spirit given to us by Jesus to live in us. The Holy Spirit within us gives us the ability to live for Jesus in a way that we could not do in our sinful selves alone. After the Last Supper and before the crucifixion, according to Matthew 25, Jesus told the disciples that after he was raised from the dead, he would meet them in Galilee. He has met them twice since the resurrection in the room where they were locked in the doors and hidden from the Jewish leaders. He knew they needed encouragement before they went from Jerusalem back to Galilee. He met them all except Thomas. Then he met them all, including Thomas. In John 21, Jesus meets the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, which was also known as the Sea of Galilee. The disciples knew because Jesus told them that they were going to meet him there again. <clears throat> they didn't know exactly when they were waiting. In the meantime, they felt the need to be doing something. They were men of action. Peter said, I'm going fishing. The other men were with him. Only seven men went on that fishing trip. Maybe the other four were at home visiting with family until they got called for duty. But Thomas was one of the seven. He didn't want to get left out again if Jesus just happened to appear. John called him twin again on this trip. No mention is made of where the other twin was. They went out of the boat and they fished all night and they caught nothing. Peter, James, and John were experienced professional fishermen. They knew that if you go fishing for a number of hours, you might get hungry. You would at least get thirsty out there floating on the water. Being hungry might inspire you to catch more fish, but even so, you might take something along to eat, maybe some unleavened bread, kind of like crackers. Maybe some raisins or dried figs. In those days, snack food didn't come in a can or a potato chip bag. They would certainly take something along to drink. This was before beer cans were invented. They might take along a jug of wine. This was before refrigeration, so grape juice was going to be fermented. But they didn't catch any fish and the sun was coming up. About a hundred yards away, a man was standing on the shore. They didn't know it was Jesus. He called out to them and said, friends, did you catch any fish? My son, Michael, used to live with his family in a house on a small lake in North Carolina. It is surrounded by houses. Standing on the back porch, you can hear people talking on their back porch on the other side of the lake. I think it is more than a hundred yards away. Some waves carry, sound waves carry as they bounce across the surface of the water. 
So the man asked them if they caught anything, and they said no. He told them to cast the, the net on the other side of the boat, and they would catch some fish. Why would the man tell them that, and why would it make a difference? Just a few feet or yards from where the net already was. Well, they did what he told them to do. They caught so many fish they were not able to pull in the net. Then John said to Peter, It is the Lord. This is not the first time Jesus told Peter, the professional fisherman, how to go fishing. In Luke 5, 4 through 6, Jesus told him to go out into the deep and cast out the net. This was before Peter, then known as Simon, was a disciple of Jesus. Simon told Jesus he had already fished all night without catching a thing. Even so, he told Jesus he would go out just because Jesus told him to. Right away, he caught so many fish he had to get others to come help, help him get it back to shore. That's when Jesus told him he would make him to be a fisher of men. So back to our story, John told Peter, it is the Lord. Peter put on his street clothes. He had taken them off while fishing all night. Must have been a warm night. Peter jumped in the water and swam to shore. Seemed like a man would take off his clothes to go swimming. Maybe Peter just wanted to get dressed before going to see the Lord. So Peter swam that hundred yards to shore. While he was swimming, I wonder if he thought about the stormy night on this same body of water when Jesus came walking on the water as he passed the boat. In Matthew 28, Peter decided he could walk on the water if Jesus told him to. So he asked Jesus to tell him to walk on the water. And Jesus told him to come on. Peter did walk on the water until he looked around at the storm and got scared. Then he cried out to Jesus, and Jesus rescued him. He took him by the hand and back to the boat. Jesus told Peter he had little faith and asked him why he doubted. Well, time had passed. The storm was gone. Here was Peter swimming to Jesus with his street clothes on. He left his buddies behind, rowing the boat and dragging that net full of fish that was too big to pull into the boat. When they got to shore, they saw Jesus there cooking breakfast. He had fish and bread cooking on hot coals and hot coffee. Well, the Bible doesn't say mention coffee, but it was breakfast. If they didn't have coffee, then they must have had some of that fermented grape juice left over from the night of fishing. Even though Jesus already had fish cooking on the fire, he told them to bring some, some of the fish they caught. Peter went over and dragged the net ashore with 153 fish. Jesus was cooking fish before they dragged, before they brought fish to shore. He had other fish to fry. I think this story is where that saying came from. After breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Do you love me more than these? Maybe Jesus was saying, do you love me more than you love these guys? Or maybe he was saying, 
do you love me more than these guys love me? Maybe he was saying both. In Luke 14, Jesus tells us we are to love him more than family, more than friends, if we are to be his disciples. And Jesus knows Simon Peter. He knew Peter liked to brag. In Matthew 26, 33, Peter had said that if all others fell away, Jesus, Peter would not. And yet Peter denied Jesus three times on the night Jesus was taken away. I think Jesus said what he said to bring that back to Peter's memory. Peter had already suffered anguish over that sin. Before Jesus was taken away, he told Peter that before a rooster crows, Peter would deny him three times. Peter did commit that sin. He denied Jesus three times. Then the rooster crowed. In Mark 14, 72, it says, and he began to weep. The Bible doesn't say when Peter stopped crying. I think he was weeping until Jesus rose from the dead. And now Jesus is bringing it back to Peter. He says, do you love me? Peter says, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Jesus said, tend my lambs. Peter knew what he was talking about. Peter was to be a leader and take care of the followers of Jesus. Peter was to do this because he loved the good shepherd, Jesus. Jesus said it again, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter said, you know I love you. Jesus said, shepherd my sheep. Now Jesus said it the third time, Simon, do you love me? Now Peter was hurt because Jesus had asked him the same question three times. He said, Lord, you know all things. You know I love you. Jesus said, tend my sheep. Peter had denied Jesus three times, and now Jesus led him through it and gave Peter the opportunity to affirm three times that he loved Jesus. And now Jesus had told him three times what he was to do to affirm that love through action. Jesus then went on to tell Peter about how the world would imprison and execute Peter because he was serving Jesus. And Jesus went on to say, follow me. Peter would, would follow Jesus, even in death. Peter heard from Jesus that he was going to serve Jesus into death. He turned around and saw John following behind. He said, Lord, what about him? In other words, is he going to die too? Jesus said, if I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? As for you, follow me. In those days, they thought Jesus might return in their lifetime. Some of us think Jesus will return in our lifetime. According to tradition, John was the only disciple besides Judas who didn't die as a martyr. It is believed that Peter was crucified upside down because he told his executioners that he didn't deserve to be crucified the same way Jesus was. We know that John was exiled on the Isle of Patmos, where he wrote the book of Revelation. According to tradition, he left the Isle of Patmos and died of old age. 
I look at my own life and I compare it to Christian martyrs in other countries. It is believed that more people are dying for their faith in Jesus in recent decades than in all the centuries before. We're not dying for the cause of Christ in our country. I accept that. Maybe that puts us with John, who died of old age. But he served Jesus until he died. We need to look at ways to serve Jesus from now until we die of old age. 